the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. We're going to cover a lot today, and if you want to be a part of it in the contribution sense, 602-508-0960 is the number. What's going on while we're focusing? What's going on in the progressive uh, mindset and with the progressive pen and telephone when we're focused on other distractions? A headline out of the New York Post it probably won't be circulated much elsewhere because to so many this is ho-hum. To me, it is not. New York City's Mayor de Blasio booting Thomas Jefferson's statue from City Hall. The statue of the Founding Fathers resided in City Hall's council chambers for 187 years. Every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book rewritten, every picture repainted, every statue and street building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. George Orwell. An endless present. Every date been altered. Every picture Repainted every statue and street building, renamed. This in a country that used to honor and esteem Thomas Jefferson as much as the work for which he was best known, the Declaration of Independence, where for the first time in world history, because of his pen and many men's swords, This country declared its independence from another country, not based on blood or skin or theology, but on the notion that all humans are equal. And to discriminate against one for some trait is to undermine humanity or the notion of equal humanhood. It's why minorities political minorities in this country have rights because we are all equal. That's what protects from a tyranny of the majority. John Donne put it this way, the death of any man diminishes me because I am involved or a part of mankind. But of course, these notions had to change, didn't they? As the progressive or, or perhaps regressive notion of civil rights had to change. Had to change because the notion that we are all equal needs to change in and of itself. We can't have a country dedicated to that, and I'm not sure it's been deliberately thought out, but this is the wage of the progressive project. You can't just say you abhor racism as a human being. You can't just say racism upsets or angers you because it violates our view of human equality. You must say there are only certain directed forms of racism against certain groups, and it is special or unique to them 
Oh, and by the way, simply by being human and finding it offensive is not enough. If you are of that race, you have no idea what it means. You have to give certain dispensation to certain groups that you cannot maintain by yourself. No, what an inhumane or inhuman turn this is, this notion that we are not all equal and that we must get rid of the statues and emblems and writings that said we were, including the year 1776, which is now 1619. We do not all feel the same pains. We cannot all understand the same things. Of course not. We're not equal in that sense. We don't all share the same capabilities, physically or of reason. Of course not. Of course not. But we have something else that makes us all human equal, and that is the fact that we are humans. That's by dint of a natural law that our country was founded on. And that's why so many of us have found all these progressive movements that want to change history or elevate race over other races so obnoxious and so odious. It took us a long time to upend the kind of thinking that some races should be more respected or privileged than others and some less so. Well, thank the progressive movement for bringing it all back, forcing us all not to just distinguish between races, but to distinguish between them at the most foundational and elemental and even subtle of ways. Abraham Lincoln had a lot to say about Jefferson and the Declaration, and I'll get to that in a moment. But he was only the second president to focus as much on him as he did. There was another president who focused a lot on Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence, as much perhaps as Abraham Lincoln, and that was Woodrow Wilson who, interestingly enough, is one of this nation's most respected and first progressive leaders, leaders of the progressive movement, and yet one of the greatest contradictions in history. An academic, a well-educated man from a prominent family who promoted the airing of a KKK movie at the White House, all at the same time and maybe so that he could condemn the Declaration of Independence. Woodrow Wilson delivered a famous speech where he asked us all to ignore the Declaration of Rights and Equality, saying, quote, we must pass beyond those preliminary passages, close quote, in the Declaration of Independence. Just view it as a bill of particulars that needs updating from time to time, the list of gripes and grievances. In a separate speech, Wilson would say of those passages declaring equality and inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, quote, they do not afford a general theory of government to formulate policies upon. No doubt we are meant to have liberty, but each generation must form its own conception of what liberty is, close quote. Each generation. In other words, not inalienable, not permanent, not fixed. 
as we all thought laws of nature and nature's God were. This was not just a repudiation of Jefferson and the founding generation and what they thought and meant. It was a repudiation of Abraham Lincoln's understanding too, especially when one considers Lincoln was the man who led the war to make those words real. Lincoln said, quote, all honor to Jefferson, to the man who in the concrete pressure of a struggle for national independence by a single people had the coolness forecast and capacity to introduce into a merely revolutionary document an abstract truth applicable to all men in all times. And so to embalm it there, that today and in all coming days it shall be a rebuke and a stumbling block to the very harbingers of reappearing tyranny and oppression. He didn't see the mayor of New York City coming. And it was wrong to Woodrow Wilson, too. To the progressives and Wilson, Declaration of Independence was not meant for all men in all times. It was no general theory to formulate policies upon. Each generation must form its own conception. In the latter day, we would call that relativism. By the way, Right before Lincoln wrote those words about the import and permanence of the Declaration, he wrote this in the preceding sentence, quote, this is a world of compensations, and he who would be no slave must consent to have no slave. Those who deny freedom to others deserve it not for themselves, and under a just God cannot long retain it, close quote. It was a version of that quote that Barbara Jordan repeated at the Democratic National Convention in 1976. Boy, I wish there were Democrats like her again today. Anyway, back to understanding the progressive movements and the elimination of our founding, bit by bit, piece by piece. Woodrow Wilson was not unclear on this. As he would say elsewhere, quote, Mr. Mr. Jefferson and his colleagues spoke of their law for no generation but their own. They left us to say whether we thought the government they had set up was founded upon the principles it articulated. Its powers organized in such forms as seemed to us most likely to affect our safety and happiness. They did not attempt to dictate the aims and objects of any generation but their own. As I say, that would be quite the surprise to Mr. Jefferson and his colleagues as it would be to Abraham Lincoln. I want to say a little bit more about this and Jefferson when we come right back. But before I do, just remember what Daniel Borston, the Librarian of Congress, said. You can't steep the society in anti-Americanism and expect it to come out American. back to the Seth Liebson show. Before I go further on what I'm talking about, what the progressives are doing to history, let me, um, let me give you a little, a little real-world example. How many of you, I don't care what your age, or your children or your grandchildren, learned more than two sentences about Ulysses S. Grant? If you learned about Ulysses S. Grant, the only thing you learned or the one lasting memory you have from what you've learned, I'm betting, is that his administration was corrupt. Sometimes you hear that Grant was a big drinker. That's about what people take away from Ulysses S. Grant. Let me give you another president I bet that you aren't taught much about or weren't. Calvin Coolidge. 
What's the lasting memory you have from your classes about Calvin Coolidge, coursework on Calvin Coolidge, American history, American civics, whatever it was? That he was quiet. That he was quiet. Silent Cal. That's about it. The progressives did a really good job on this, John Dewey and his school reform measures. And that's why you see people like Brett Baer and a few others trying to kind of resurrect Ulysses S. Grant because people are waking up. The more they read him, for example, the more fascinating they find him. Same with Calvin Coolidge. And they both adored the Declaration of Independence. And in the case of Ulysses S. Grant, this may come as a surprise. This may come as no surprise when you understand the tactics of the progressive left. Guess who was Ulysses S. Grant's biggest fan? Someone you don't learn about much anymore either, except out of context. Frederick Douglass. Douglass turned down an opportunity for run, to run for president himself for one reason and one reason only, to campaign for Ulysses S. Grant. He wrote an eight-page letter to the black churches or the African churches, as they were called, I think, that back then, as to why they should be supporting Ulysses S. Grant. There is a reason you don't know much about Grant and much about Coolidge, and there's a reason you're learning less and less about Frederick Douglass. Heck, all their statues are up for destruction, or were last year. Calvin Coolidge went right into the face of the progressives in his famous Fourth of July speech, saying about the Declaration of Independence, there is a finality that is exceedingly restful. It's not what Wilson said, right? He said it wasn't final. It wasn't complete. It was up for every generation to make its own. Coolidge went on to say it is often asserted that the world has made a great deal of progress since 1776, that we have had new thoughts and new experiences, which have given us a great advance over the people of that day, and that we may therefore very well discard their conclusions for something more modern. But that reasoning cannot be applied to this great charter. If all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. No advance, no progress can be made beyond these propositions, Coolidge said. He went on to say, if anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward, but backward, toward the time when there was no equality, no right of the individual, no rule of the people. Those who wish to proceed in that direction are not progressives. They are reactionaries. Their ideas are not more modern, but more ancient than those of the Revolutionary Fathers. Doctor uh, Professor Brad Watson, we've interviewed him, he's an author, well-respected author on, on the progressive movement. He gets and isolates it this way. The progressive idea, simply put, is that the principled American constitutionalism of fixed natural rights and limited and dispersed powers must be overturned and replaced by an organic evolutionary model of the Constitution that facilitates the authority of experts dedicated to the expansion of the public sphere and political control, especially at the national level. This fundamental idea opened – Five major applications. One, that there are no fixed or eternal principles in this society. Two, 
The state and its component parts are, are organic and involved in a struggle for never-ending growth. Three, democratic openness and experimentalism are the fertilizer of the organic state. Four, the state and its components exist only in history. And five, some individuals stand outside this process, an elite class possessed of intelligence as a method who provide the messianic leadership needed to move the process smoothly along. But calling something progress is not necessarily progress, just as a man thinking he's Napoleon does not make him Napoleon. For the idea of inequality and the idea that we have to be continuously reminded that we are not equal by the leftists and the progressives is not progress, it's regress. Or as Coolidge put it, reactionary. And those who believed that have not been co-opted. Instead, the major institutions and culture in America has co-opted those very ideas, as has the Democratic Party. Who co-opted who, by the way? Did Biden co-opt Sanders or did Sanders co-opt Biden? It's a powerful medicine, this progressive ideology. It's a strong force of reactionaryism. And it reminds me of what C.S. Lewis once said, once wrote, we all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place you want to be. And if you have taken a wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. And I think if you look at the present state of the world, it's pretty plain that humanity has been making some big mistakes. We're on the wrong road. And if that is so, we must go back. Going back is the quickest way forward. Now, that is our charge. That's our charge. And we have a lot of strong medicine, too, don't we? George Washington is strong medicine. Thomas Jefferson was strong medicine. Madison, our Constitution, the Federalist Papers, Lincoln, Grant, forward. We have a lot of strong on our side. But look at who's been trying to chisel away at it, literally and figuratively, the statues and monuments to our strong medicine of fixed rights, individual liberty, and natural law. They can do it because they've taken over the levers and institutions that have the power to do it. And we who are trying to turn back, interestingly enough, and get us back to the notions of truth and equality and natural rights and natural law and individual liberty, we, we, take, these, we take these incoming slings and arrows as being the reactionaries. Shame on them. There are things we can do to fix it, by the way, beyond teaching. There are things we can do to fix it. I want to talk about that, too. Remind me, Bill, to talk about Washington and Jefferson and Grant and how we can fix their images in our society. I think they deserve it because America deserves it. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 after the hour brings us John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates. He is the host of his own radio show right here, The Word on Wealth, every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. And Grand Canyon Planning Associates' website is Grand Canyon planning.com. Great man, great organization, securing Arizona and Arizonans' future one family at a time. J.D., happy Wednesday. Hey, Seth, how's it going? I'm doing just fine. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Good. Good to check in. Um, We wanted to follow up, if memory serves, on kind of an issue you had raised yesterday, which has a lot of applications to a lot of people, I think, having to do with what they do with the what they do with some of their accounts particularly their retirement accounts when they leave their job by force or on their own right yes yes so we're seeing obviously we talked yesterday Seth about um 4.3 million workers decided to quit their jobs right uh in August alone so we're seeing a lot of transition happening in the workforce and with that if you've got someone who has working at a company for uh, any length of time, uh, they may have been contributing to a retirement account, a a company-sponsored plan, a 401k or possibly a 403b for any of those uh, individuals working for maybe a a hospital or a medical facility or even a school district. So you've been putting money away for your retirement, and you may have been watching that on a regular basis, contributing to it on a regular basis. But once you retire or move or leave or quit your job, that 401k is still remaining, and that's your money. And it's going to be important for you to make sure that you uh, manage that properly, and oftentimes they're neglected, Seth, once we leave a position. So my, I guess, advice to those out there in a situation like this would be is, is to make sure that you talk to someone about that, talk to an advisor about that, and they can help you reposition that 401k, roll it over into an IRA, which the IRA will automatically remain in your name and there will be no tax liability for the rollover, but now you have much more opportunity for investments within the IRA than you may have had in that 401k, and you're paying attention to it. Thanks, John. Does this um, relate as similar advice, and it's a slightly different set of issues when someone might have a legal judgment benefit and financials that they can, you know, get over time or financial awards that they can take over time or can take all as a lump sum? Is that is that somewhat a related issue for individuals thinking about the time and value of money, or is that slightly different set of considerations? It may be slightly different. I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about. However, there could be, and what I'm trying to understand within what you said was, is within a 401k or a retirement account itself, uh, it is a form of income that you're going to ultimately be using in your retirement, and it usually is something that's paid out over time. Yeah. Or you can take it in a lump sum, but of course, everything that you withdraw out of a traditional 401k or IRA is going to be taxable. So you just have to understand the tax ramifications. And that's all part of what we do as financial professionals, building income strategies and plans for our clients in in a tax-efficient way so we understand what that liability might be as we're drawing down on our investments in retirement. Perfect. Now, this is the first day in a couple that we've seen green all over the stock boards, right? (laughs) 
And yeah, it's been a few days. Yeah, yeah, no, I think so. I think that's right. And right. we have the news of inflation. There's a lot of news having to do with supply chain and logjam issues. I'm wondering if there is some, perhaps Joe Biden's speech today. What what is it that would what is it that would put everything in the green today? More confidence? Well, I think there's certainly that. But we did see some companies reporting earnings, Seth. And as we talked, uh, you know, each quarter companies report earnings based on um, what those earnings are. Uh, shows sort of how the economy's doing, right? So if a company is forecasting a specific level of revenue to, a, to themselves in, in the next quarter, and then they come out and report, and they beat that expectation, that's usually a positive sign that the economy is, is moving forward. Right now, we are just in the early stages of this uh, quarter of reporting, but it's certainly an indicator out there that we're going to be looking at closely. And also the Fed chair spoke today talking about that monetary policy and that they're most likely going to be reducing that the purchasing of debt uh, come mid-November. But you're right. It seems like there was some news midday that seemed to give investors a little bit of yeah. uh, motivation to begin buying some of this dip that we've seen over the last few days, which is always good. Yes, sir, it is. Thank you, as you always are, too. Thank you, John. You bet, Seth. Securities and Advisory Services are with the Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you so much, Seth. You bet. We'll talk soon. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is a delight, a privilege to welcome to the show Peter Navarro, Dr. Navarro. Many of you may remember as the assistant to President Trump, director of trade and manufacturing policy, and also the coordinator for the National Production Act, policy coordinator for that, and has a brand new book coming out in Trump time, a journal of America's plague year. Dr. Navarro, welcome to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Seth, uh, great to be with you, and I'll actually be um, in Phoenix uh, next, next Tuesday uh, on a trip, and uh, I always love uh, getting the sunshine out there and, and seeing what's, what's a really, truly great city. Well, uh, we, we will welcome you with open arms. We've got fall uh, happening here in Phoenix, and we've got a lot of freedom here. I'm not sure if you're in D.C., California, or where, but I have a feeling you're going you're gonna to breathe easier here generally. Yeah. I'm in the swamp, and you have a undefeated football team, too. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a faster. I'm watching. Dr. I, I Navarro, what do we have to do to recruit you a, here? What do we a, <laughs> What do we got to do? I was not a believer. I thought he'd be too small and he'd get crushed, but uh, he's doing good. But <laughs> in the meantime. In the meantime. Uh, let me talk to you Let me talk to you about your book. You know what? what? Here it is. He yeah. moves. In Trump time, okay. There you, you go. As quickly as possible. There you go. I and, like and it. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little bit about the book. Sure. It's, it's, it's simultaneously a book of indictments and a book of revelations. It's a book of indictments. It, it's a serious book. It's the last year uh, of the Trump administration. It's my literally my journal of America's plague year. I kept a, a daily journal um, every day I was in the White House, and uh, the, the book opens up in what I call the Red Wedding chapter, in chapter one, where I'm sitting in the audience in the East Wing of the White House. President Trump's on stage with Vice Premier Leo Ha, and they're, they're there to sign this so-called skinny trade deal. And I'm sitting there. I really sweat, but today I'm, I'm in a cold sweat 
watching this because uh, I had been watching the, the crematoria in Wuhan working overtime, burning bodies. I heard about this this virus, and and just years earlier in, in uh, 2006 book, I had actually predicted that China would create a pandemic and kill millions. So I'm, I'm on high alert, Jeff, high alert. And I'm watching these diplomats, Chinese diplomats on stage, and I'm thinking to myself, what do these communists know that we don't about that virus? Could they be infected if they're infected? Why the heck are they shaking my hand and the president? And most of all, Seth, I'm thinking, you know what? Could this be a bioweapon designed to take down the only president who has ever stood up to communist China and maybe grab Hong Kong and Taiwan? The boot, and that's the first chapter. And then it rolls into what would begin my confrontation with the man who I believe is the most evil man in this country. It's Anthony Fauci, and and I have this 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 showdown with him in the sit room over the president's China ban, something that saved millions of lives. Fauci was dead set against it. I had to roll over him that day. Uh, but but what? Here's the thing, Scott, and this is one of one of the reveals of the book. I mean. Fauci's sitting there on January 28, 2020. He just received an email from Christian Anderson at the Scripps Institute where this guy had told Fauci flat out this was likely a genetically engineered virus. And at that point, Fauci had to know that it came from the Wuhan lab, had to know that his own agency used American tax dollars to pay for it, and had to know that his gain-of-function experiments which can turn a, 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 a benign virus into one that can kill humans, had gone wrong. And that SOB, Seth, he didn't say a word to the president. He didn't say a word to me. We could have saved hundreds of thousands of lives if we knew then that Tony Fauci knew. And, and uh, I'm hoping that one of, the, one of the benefits of the In Trump Time book is that it will take Fauci down. He, he, he belongs in an orange jumpsuit not as the highest-paid bureaucrat in the American government. That's a strong indictment and one that I can only agree with, Dr. Navarro. We're talking to Peter Navarro, his book coming out, In Trump Time, A Journal of America's Plague Year. But it depends, or I suppose rests upon the notion of fairness and justice in the society, and that's what I wanted to ask you about, given the subtitle of your book, America's Plague Year. That was easy for the press to... Make 2020, you know, an Annus Horribilis, a, a horrible year. Yes. Why, why, why is this year better? Why, why is the press all of a sudden not focusing? <laughs> let, let me put it this way. Joe Biden, let me put it this way. Joe Biden said in a debate with President Trump after 177,000 deaths, no man should still be able to be president. Well, we far surpassed that with Joe Biden. Why is the press, why is the media not thinking this is a plague year? They have doubled down and tripled down on, on the Biden regime. And at some point, I would imagine that even CNN and MSNBC have to have their spirits broken by the, the incompetence, fecklessness, and fascism of Joe Biden. I mean, this, this is insane. In, in Chapter 5 of the book, in Trump time, I'm, I'm in my office in the White House. It's February 9th, 2020, okay? This is just... It's like the dawn of the pandemic. And I begin with a series of a dozen memos for the president, the first of which is the jumpstart 
the what would become Operation Warp Speed. We didn't call it that yet, but I said in the memo February 9th that if we got moving on this, we could have a vaccine by October or November. And guess what? We did that in Trump time. It was a miracle what the president did. But here's the point, Jeff. Never in my mildest dreams did I believe that that vaccine, the Trump vaccines, would be turned into weapons to take people's jobs and turn them into social pariahs by a Biden regime. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm as pro-vax as anybody. This vaccine is made for elderly folks who have a high mortality rate. It's made for people with comorbidities. But to jab, force people fascistically to take a vaccine, if they've already had the virus, they've got 20 times the antibodies of that vaccine. So these are the kinds of things going on. Yet the media, the media is protecting Biden. Look, we've got an invasion on the southern border. Arizona's right, right at the heart of that. You know what's going on down yeah, there. You bet. He screwed up Afghanistan. We've got about a stagflation coming, and the boss in his uh, rally in Iowa, raised the issue of stagflation for the first time in his speech. It's on his record, it's on mine. And we've got, I mean, effectively, the communist Chinese who, who spawned that virus have turned the American democracy into an authoritarian beast. And so why do they protect them? I, I, I can't imagine it going much longer because the people of America are, are, are very fed up with this. And that, that Southwest Airlines fiasco, clear skies, clear skies. That only happened because pilots and machinists do not want to be forced to do things they shouldn't be forced to do. And this is the kind of thing that, that I mean, people are just angry, Seth. They're very angry about what's going on. The in Trump time book will get to the bottom of what happened in November 3rd, January 6th, and in the world. And having, look, Arizona is at the tip of the spear on the whole election integrity issue. Like Fincham, Rogers, Sonny Borelli in the Senate have, have, have pushed that agenda. They came up with a report that said there's 50,000 ghost voters. The ones they found in Maricopa County alone are enough, Seth, to decertify that election. So these are the kinds of things that, that I'll talk about in Trump time that we've got to get to the bottom of this because people... People increasingly have no confidence in Biden. They increasingly have no confidence that he won that election fairly. And uh, the Interim Times book is all about exposing that and Fauci and the communists that, that are basically killing over 600,000 Americans to date. Dr. Navarro, one of the interesting things to me about the vaccine and the politics around it is I counted, you may have more, you may know of more, but I counted three times last year when Anthony Fauci said we will not have a vaccine this year. It's interesting. You must have gotten this done despite his stumbling blocks along the way. Best guess. You know, I, one of the chapters I, I, I love the most in the Trump Time book describes how we did it, basically. How you know, I write this memo on February 9th on behalf of the president, and I say we can get this done by October or November. I went out on TV, and there's a, there's a story about it in the interim time book. I go out on TV and say the same thing, and the next thing I know, I have Fauci on my butt, uh, <laughs> contradicting me, contradicting the president, saying it's going to take a year and a half or two. It's like 
This guy had no clue. Yeah. Like when I was in the sit room with him, he had no clue. Peter, let me do I, this. I, I, let me do this. I got to take this hard commercial break. Sure. You're coming to town. Let me do that. Let me get you back on next week when you're here, and we'll and we'll talk a little bit more about the book. I uh, I got I got you understand how these no commercial way, breaks I, do. I but Peter out. Navarro is our guest. The book is in Trump time: A Journal of America's Plague Year, and this will be a down payment. We'll call it part one of our tour with Peter Navarro. Thank you, Dr. Navarro. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. The lies about COVID are amazing to me. Just thinking about some of the stuff Peter Navarro was just saying. I was talking with a friend of mine today. He said, has everyone forgotten what Anthony Fauci said about the concept of herd immunity? And how he changed those numbers five times and admitted to why he changed them. He said, I didn't think the American people were ready for the real number. He had it in his head the whole time and was lying on television to us. Why would anyone interview him ever again? Why would a media reporter ever, why would a journalist ever interview a man who looked at their face and lied to them ever again? The lies are ongoing. You are still hearing. And Joe Biden said yesterday. That this is a disease of the unvaccinated. This is a crisis of the unvaccinated. Okay, do your state by state analysis and you tell me if that's true. Is Massachusetts a state? 32% of current COVID 19 hospitalizations are of the fully vaccinated in Massachusetts. Is Pennsylvania a state? By the way, these are highly vaccinated states, too. One in four hospitalizations in Pennsylvania fully vaccinated. Maybe when they stop lying to us, hesitancy will be overcome. But as long as they continue to lie and tell you their truth, I'm begging you, stick to the truth. It'll serve you a lot better in the end. And as Mark Twain said, you tell the truth, you don't even need a good memory. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 